Hello and welcome to the NFL 100 show from Gridiron. A look back at the 100-year history of the greatest sporting league in the world, taking one of the great matchups from this weekend, looking at why it's historically significant and hearing about the teams involved from the players involved. And finally, yes, finally, we've gotten round to the Dolphins' undefeated season. Can't wait to dig into this one. This is the NFL 100 show. Hello and welcome to the NFL 100 show from Gridiron. A couple of shows coming up for you. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, about the Jets-Raiders game. Uh, well, we'll explain a bit more about that around the 1968 AFL uh, game coming up shortly. But today, Dick Anderson, Paul Warfield, Jim Langer. It is the Miami Dolphins 24, the Buffalo Bills 20. Three, the NFL recently announced their all-time 100 greatest teams. The Miami Dolphins were voted number one for their undefeated season, so we're going to talk about it. Matt Sherry, my favourite NFL uh, historians with me. Matt, have you recovered yet suitably from uh, from your tour around the Great Lakes? Not remotely, mate. I'm in jet lag hell at the moment, up from 2 till 6am last night. Oof. That's Bro. brutal. That is brutal. Well, fingers crossed we can help you feel better by chatting some... And, and if people haven't seen the clip, by the way, my favourite bit of your entire trip was you in Lambeau giving a tour of the historical sites of Green <laughs> Bay, seemingly off the top of your head, based on the stuff that you had from the book. It is a marvel, the, uh, the amount of knowledge that you were imparting on that group. Completely off the top of my head. I was quite pleased with that. It was fun. And then did some similar stuff around the Hall of Fame as well when we took people around there. I forgot you did the Hall of Fame. How, how was that going back oh. in the kind of, in in the uh, pundit capacity? It was good going back having done the book. So I was there last year and it's amazing how much more I knew. Um, and there was some funny parts of like when the Green Bay Packers did our tour around Lambeau, there were several things that the, that the tour guide said that I didn't correct them on. That were incorrect and <laughs> were basically a watered down version of events for, for Packers fans. So at one point the lady claimed that the Packers were founder members of the NFL because when they joined in 1921, the, the, the league changed their name from the APFA to the NFL. She claimed that the original league disbanded and that the NFL started in 1921. That's a lie, lady. Completely unacceptable. <laughs> Excellent. I, I would have just believed it as well. That's the best part. The, the best part is I, I told people at our group, and then they were coming up to me at the Hall of Fame, which was a couple of days later, and saying, I say they've got the real version of, of events in here. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Right, let's tuck into this Miami Dolphins team then. Um, Matt Sherry, the, the undefeated season, voted the number one in the all-time 100 greatest teams. Uh, why have we picked this game for this weekend to talk about this team? Uh, well, it was from last weekend because we're a week behind, which I apologise for. But the reason is that the Bills were were really the, the, the team who came closest to beating them in that the Dolphins only beat them 24-23. Um, so 72 is obviously the unbeaten season. And as you mentioned at the top, recently voted by NFL Network as, as the greatest team of all time. So let's just find out initially... Paul Warfield does a really nice job of setting the scene for this season, which I thought would be nice to play that audio earlier and get the get the listeners up to speed on that. So let's let's hear from Paul Warfield, the the Hall of Fame wide receiver now. Two years earlier, uh, to be in effect, 
the Miami Dolphins were uh, what I would call uh, uh, a team that had accomplished very little. Uh, certainly it was a young team and uh, seeking to find its place uh, in the world of sport. And two years uh, later, uh, I'm going back to 1970, uh, uh, but two years later, 1972, they, uh, the organization was at the top of the football world and winning its first title and not only winning its first title, but uh, accomplishing an undefeated season, something here to and to this very day, uh, a mark that has not been equaled. It, it may be surpassed in the near future, but no one has at least put together an undefeated season because I say that it may be surpassed in the near in, in some time in the future, only because the league now plays two more games. But the mark can never be broken. So it's a, a, a tremendous accomplishment by an organization, a head coach, and a football team. Paul, you you, you were around a winning organization in Cleveland at the start of your career. I, I just wonder, having having seen kind of how championships are won as you did in in that '64 season, what would you say were the keys to Miami going from what you described to becoming that that, that winning team? Would would you put it all uh, largely down to? to Don Schuler and coaching, or, or was it kind of a, a combination of factors? Uh, I think the, the last term that you knew is combination of factors. Certainly it was a confluence of uh, things that had come together uh, uh, beginning in 1970. And uh, the Miami Dolphins were organized, and I believe, uh, uh, well, you may know that better than I, or you can look it up, but nevertheless, I arrived there in 1970. Don Schuler arrived there in 1970. Uh, some other players like Mar Fleming, who played for the uh, Great Green Bay Packer championship teams in the very first two Super Bowls, he arrived there. Uh, Don Shula brought along uh, Bill Arnsberger, a great, great defensive coordinating coach, uh, to join him. So, again, uh, I would agree with you, it was a combination of factors to go along with a core of good young players already with the Miami Dolphins, but players who had been the misfits of a, of a league up to that very short period of time of their existence. I believe that uh, the Miami Dolphins in 1970 had four previous years of existence uh, in the National Well, It was, a, it was a, an American football league yeah. that had become consolidated with uh, the prime or premier National Football League. But in that period of time, Miami was an expansion team, kind of a misfit team of players that were simulated together, but they had never accomplished winning more than four games in any of those first four seasons. The very first year that Don Shula and this confluence of other players being mixed with the existing players in 1970, the Miami Dolphins will win 10 games and lose four. So they more than double their efforts. And from that point on, it would go on to Super Bowl winnings. Paul Warfield, Hall of Fame wide receiver, who mentions it being the only undefeated season there. Is, is that accurate, Matt Sherry? It's not, no. It's kind of like when people talk about the, the Premier League and, and only talk about the Premier League era. There were other undefeated seasons pre 
kind of modern era NFL. So the first team to win the NFL, the Akron Pros in 1920, went 8-0-3. The 1922 and 23 Canton Bulldogs went 10-0-2 and 10-0-1 respectively. And the 29 Packers went 12-0-1. So all those teams won championships and went undefeated. Now, people will notice that it wasn't, though, a perfect season. You know, they had ties in there, which was quite common in those days. We see a lot less ties ties in the modern era so those teams also went undefeated and won their title then there are the teams who went undefeated and ultimately lost the championship game so there's the 34 chicago bears the 42 chicago bears and more famously now the 2007 Patriots. the other thing i would pick up on is warfield makes a point of saying professional football well if you're gonna broaden the scope out to professional football the 1948 cleveland browns um, they went. They were perfect in in that forty eight season. Went fourteen and zero. Then dominated forty nine seven against the Bills in the championship game. So there are two perfect seasons in pro football history. Um, certainly in the major leagues that would eventually be merged into the NFL. Maybe there are others in the Pacific Coast League. Although I'm not sure there are. Um, the Dolphins in seventy two. The Browns in forty eight. But obviously, because it's the NFL and because the AFC, as much as it gains a, a lot of credibility with what the Browns do in the NFL, it's still seen as inferior to the NFL that the Dolphins hold a, a, an extra special distinction, I guess. I, I think you're putting insane disrespect on the 1948 Calgary Stampeders for completing <laughs> the only perfect season in Canadian football history. Yeah, Definitely not a fact. I've only just Googled. Um, that's, that's, a, that's sensational how good you've come up with that. And also <laughs> interesting that in, in 1948, we had both a Canadian and an American team who go undefeated in their respective leagues and win a championship. Right. So the Dolphins' actual distinction is the only perfect season in the NFL. A pretty impressive distinction. So what were the keys to this, this phenomenal run? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say the key is Don Shula. So, you know, what's interesting is a lot of people, when I chatted about Shula on the on the tour, didn't realise that he actually started in Baltimore and was the head coach of the Colts for for Super Bowl three against the um, against the Jets when Joe Namath famously beat them. So, so Shula was a very young coach going into Baltimore. You know, he was, I think he was in his in his late twenties when he got the job. So he was actually coaching guys who who were. Were were um were older than he was, and and he did an he did an immediately very good job. So the the Baltimore Colts in the late fifties obviously won back to back championships in fifty eight and fifty nine, and they they fell on hard times. and And Shula ends up getting the job because Gino Marchetti, the great Colts defender, is asked by uh, Carol Rosenblum, the, the 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 owner of the Colts, for a recommendation, and he recommends this this young former unheralded defensive back called Don Shula. And Shula, I would say, in terms of football theory, was very similar to Vince Lombardi in terms of what he believed, and we'll get into that later on. But he, he really was did a great job with the Colts. I mean, they're, they're kind of the forgotten team of the 60s simply because they coincide with that Lombardi team. There was a, there was a famous playoff game in which the, the, the loss to the Packers whereby a, a kick 
was was given as good that actually probably missed and that would have changed the whole history of the of the Baltimore Colts and potentially the Miami Dolphins because in his time in Baltimore Shuler acquired this reputation of being a, a great young coach incapable of winning the big game and that carried right through and kind of hit its crescendo in that Super Bowl three loss when when the Colts were obviously heavy favourites to beat the Jets and lost to Joe Namath. Now in Miami he kind of goes in in it and impacts the team greatly. They go from an also ran to winning ten games in his first season, and then they actually the, 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 you know it's forgotten that they were in Super Bowl six and lost quite heavily at twenty four three to to the Dallas Cowboys. But I think at that time, Miami would, with this team coming together, and as we'll talk about later on and we'll hear later on, it was a team who weren't quite ready for the big moment, but it didn't necessarily mean that their coach wasn't in the way that his reputation preceded him as being. And Shula really set the tone for this 1972 season right from the start of training camp. So so let's hear Dick Anderson now, that the multiple All-Pro safety member of the 1970s All-Decade team. I can't call him a Hall of Famer at the moment, but I think I might be able to call him a Hall of Famer in, you know, three, four, five months' time because he could be one of those in that expanded class. But he was a great safety and one of the stars of the, the no-name defence, and he really tells us about how, how Shula sets the tone for everything that comes at the start of training camp in 1972. When we... Uh went to the Super Bowl in 
everybody was in the right place at the right time and then you had to execute. The soon-to-be, hopefully, Hall of Famer Dick Anderson, part of that no-name defence, the Dolphins, who were a team on the wrong end of Super Bowl six. So what was the difference between the 72 and 73 teams? Uh, not a huge amount. Experience, I would say, is the big difference. Um, the other is that is that Mercury Morris, the, the third running back, of their rotation really takes on a bigger role. Well, I think Shula spots that Morris kind of creates, turns a two-headed monster of a backfield that was Larry Zonga and Jim Kick into a three-headed monster. So you've got Zonga, the, the archetypal thumper, you know, big-bodied back. And then you've got Morris, who becomes the speedster, real change of pace back. And then Kick is the, is the pass-catching back. And, and it's interesting that you know, Morrison's and Zonga become the first tandem to hit over two over a thousand rushing yards each that season, and Kig has five hundred and twenty-one as well. I mean, the the Dolphins' rushing attack that year was was incredible, and that and that really gets into what the formula was for the Dolphins. It was the same formula as seventy-one, just an enhanced version of that, and it was all about running game and defense. And we've spoken about on the Steelers podcast how in seventy-eight the rule changes, you know brought about to open the game up. Well, the, the Dolphins were a major reason for that because they were so effective at playing this brand of defence that didn't make mistakes and so effective at running the ball that they were really able to control the clock, shorten the game and and out-execute opponents. And that's really what they did. And, and, and I think the other key part of the formula, the thing that really drives that running game, is, is the offensive line. Now... There's all the talk about the no-name defence, but I, I put it that the, it's the no-name offensive line as well. I think every guy, as we'll hear about later on, was either cut or or um, or traded from a previous team. And it was it was left tackle Wayne Moore, who was a pro bowler, left guard Bob Kuchenberg, who was an all-pro, then your Hall of Famers in Jim Langer, who has sadly passed away now, but we will hear from him in this show because I interviewed him before he passed away. Um, right guard, Larry Little, and right tackle, Norm Evans. So Larry Little was a Hall of Famer. Norm Evans wasn't a pro bowler or, or an old pro, but a, a very good player to, to complete the unit. But ultimately, I think the key to the whole thing is the defence. So let's hear from Anderson again, who really talks about the defence, the no-name defence, and, and Bill Arsbar- Barnett, whose name I always pronounce badly, um, <laughs> the, the, the defensive coordinator and, and his importance to the whole thing. You'll get it right one day, buddy. Never, buddy. It's never going to happen. Well, and, and I'll give you an interesting statistic that really sets the tone of, of what the importance of coaching is. In 1972, we had 165 points scored against our defense. In 1973, where we won the Super Bowl as well, it was only 150 points and five touchdown passes. Bill Arnsbarger was our defensive coach. Yeah. And the next year, he became head coach of the New York Giants, and we Coach Hula hired another defensive coach, and as a team, we went to 265 the next year. <laughs> yeah. Again, you know, points against it. So to see how really important Bill Arnsberger was, um, you know, he, you know, in a team game, uh, you know, the more players you have, the better the communication and, and um, you know, not making mistakes is really important because 
the other team is always looking for weaknesses. We're looking for weaknesses in the offense. They're looking for defenses in our weak. Our, I mean, they're looking for people that make mistakes in in our defense. So, um, you know, we're really very fortunate with the players we had. Um, we really had very few injuries, so we played with the same people all the time. Yeah. You know, I think in the NFL today, there just seems to be so many injuries that, you know, the only team that is really consistent is New England. Yeah. You know, Bill Belichick is the closest thing to Arnsberger and Shula, as I can tell. Because that team doesn't make mistakes. They don't have a lot of penalties. You know, they play as a team. If a guy all of a sudden wants to do something on his own, he cuts him and sends him to play Bill. Is it, um... And so that was the uniqueness of our team, I think. Four days like no other. A festival like no other. For a bookmaker like no other. Betfred. Get up to £40 in free bets when you sign up using promo code CHELT40 and stake £10 on any Cheltenham race. Betfred. At the heart of Cheltenham. 18 plus, new UK customers only. Available from March 6th to March 13th. £30 free bets credited within 10 hours of first bet settlement. Extra £10 free bets credited if first bet loses. Full terms at betfred.com slash promotions. Keep it fun. BeGambleAware.org. Hey, love. Who's this lot? Oh, they arrived with our new BT TV box. Right. That's the Night's Watch, Marcus Rashford, oh, and Catherine the Great. Who's hiding behind the curtain? Shh, that's Jack Ryan. Don't blow his cover. New BT TV, the new home for all the channels you love, including Sky Atlantic, Sky Cinema, Sky Sports from Now TV, Prime Video and BT Sport. Watch TV like never before. BT, beyond limits. New customers, BT TV available with BT Superfast Fiber. 24 month term, terms apply. So Dick Anderson speaking about the defence and it was being paired with that running game and that really great offensive line, as you were saying, Sherry. So let's hear from Jim Langer, who sadly passed away since you interviewed him, but, but discussing how brilliant that offensive line was. Every one of our offensive linemen that formed up that team had been cut or released. Uh, myself, I had never been drafted. I was a free agent to Cleveland. Uh, they uh, picked me off a waiver as the Dolphins did from Cleveland, who uh, had been drafted by the Eagles. And he was uh, sent down to Miami. Larry Little had been uh, a free agent, I believe, to San Diego. Norm Evans had been released by the Oakland Raiders. Uh, Wayne Moore, our starting left tackle, had been released by the 49ers. And so we were a bunch of cast-offs. And uh, we had this coach named Monty Clark, who was his first-year offensive line coach, was with the Dolphins. And uh, we came together with Monty, and Monty, very early on in the process, said, we are going to be the best in the business, he called it, best in the business. We wanted to become the best offensive line in the business. And before every game, we'd line up to take our drills, and Monty would say, best in the business. And that group came together. We, we became very close friends. We took a lot of pride in what we had started out working hard and accomplishing. And uh, the team was very close. Uh, and we worked very hard. I mean, we worked long, long, four practices a day in training camp. We studied hard in the, in the film rooms. 
and it became a passion to be the best in the business. And uh, I guess it all turned out that, you know, we became, I would say we were the best offensive line ever. Uh, there's certainly been some great offensive lines and great offensive players. But I think it's it's a very true uh, statement in the NFL, uh, any football team, you're only as good as your offense, offensive yeah, line. Absolutely. You can't have a good offense without a good offensive line. And uh, Tom Brady would, would back that up 100%. You know, we had great quarterback play from Bob Greasy and Earl Morrill. Uh, but it all starts with uh, if the guys up front don't take a lot of pride in what they're doing and execute properly all the time, it, nothing works. It just falls apart. It's like having a race car with a bad motor. You're not going to win. Jim Langer speaking there. You're listening to the NFL 100 show from Gridiron. Will Gavin, Matthew Sherry with me. Now, going back to Dick Anderson, Matt, one of the elements that he alluded to in that perfect season was was something that was seemingly never really on the forefront of the Dolphins' minds. Yeah, I mean, all three guys say this, and, and a clip we hear from Warfield earlier on backs it up as well. You know, that's the interesting element, and, and I think that's the reason the perfect season happened. You know, at that time, it really wasn't the big storyline. The storyline was winning the Super Bowl. That was what was laid out by Shula ahead of the season. It was really all they thought about, and... And, and yeah, it, it, it just kind of happens. And one of my favourite lines that I've written in the book, if I'm going to humble brag... <laughs> is, I, always, um, I, love it, I love it when you do. ...is, um, you know, Vince Lombardi had the famous quote 10 years earlier of, we all, we're all chasing perfection. You can never reach perfection, but you might catch excellence along the way. Well, the ir- irony with the Dolphins is, you know, they chased excellence and they caught perfection along the way. They almost flipped that around nicely. And, um, and and that's really the feel that I got from all the guys I spoke to on that team. So let's hear from Langer again, who who tells the story of the season, but also a really nice little anecdote about them sat on the sat on the bus one day and turning to each other and saying, you know, we haven't lost a game yet, and and just how even it was discussed should we lose one and get the the potential jinx off them. So he really talks us through how the season starts to come together. You know, it, this was a very special in terms of what they how they've melded together and you can't plan on that happening it just happens we came together with this guy Don Shula none of us had ever seen before uh, we had heard about him but he was literally the most intense man I've ever been around <laughs> but he he, uh, he believed in it to his very soul and he worked as hard as we did on what he needed to do to get us ready to play. And uh, I would be the first to admit not everybody uh, necessarily agrees with that, but it's professional sport. This is what you're doing. It's a very elite group, and uh, I never had any doubts. that At the time when I crossed that line, it was the most important thing in my life. And uh, I've been married 51 years. And my family was very important to me, but I knew the best way to take care of my family was to, you know, do the best I could for this football team. I mean, I don't think we were a cocky football team. We were confident. But I, even the fans, the fans said, you know, we can, we'll, we'll beat this team. We're coming. It didn't matter who we were going to play. We're going to beat them. Uh, and this is a true story. We went up to play the Giants late in the undefeated season, a regular season game. 
in Yankee Stadium. We were undefeated. I don't know, we were 12 and 0 or something like that. I can't remember what game it was. It was late in the season. And Coach and I were laying in the Waldorf Astoria before the team bus went and left. And Coach said, You know, we haven't lost yet. I said, So? He said, You know, maybe, maybe it'd be, this would be a game we had already won the conference. I mean, we already knew we were in the playoffs. He said maybe it wouldn't be such a bad thing if we lost the game once, so we don't have that jinx on us, you know? Because nobody had ever done it. Yeah. And I, well, I said, I don't know. But you know, when we crossed the field and you started playing, you play the win, you execute, you do everything you're supposed to do, play by play, quarter by quarter. And uh, it, were, it turned out we, we won the game handily. Uh, it's it's something once you if you're a professional athlete and this is what you do for your living once you get out there that everything else you know that training kicks in and you com- and you complete the task at hand and if everybody does that you're going to win usually more from Jim Langer there you're listening to the NFL 100 show the the interesting part uh, yeah the Dolphins going into to Super Bowl 7 undefeated statistically the best offense and the best defense in football but but yet yeah, they were three point underdogs yeah it's insane to look back on i mean uh, you know we'll get into the reasons why in a sec when we when we finish the pod but it is ludicrous. I mean, they had literally the best offense and defense statistically. They'd won every single game, and it really irritated them. And, and you know, Langer admitted they had a massive, massive chip on their shoulder because of that status. They felt it was completely unjust. And, yeah, let's hear about the game itself, Super Bowl Seven, a game which, you know, really isn't that interesting outside of a, a ridiculous play by... Um, by the Dolphins' kicker that could have made it 17-0 and 17-0 and actually led to Washington's only touchdown. The Dolphins completely and utterly dominated the Redskins. I mean, it was 14-7, but it really wasn't anywhere near that close. So let's hear from from Paul Warfield. Just break down the matchup and talk about how the Dolphins were really the, the dominant team on the field that day. I can really say that in winning the Super Bowl title and completing the undefeated season, at least in my mind, when everyone was talking about the road leading up to Super Bowl 7 and they were undefeated, that never really came into my mind, as I think it never really came into the minds, I'm assuming, of all of my teammates, because we were so focused on one objective. The one objective we were focused on was winning that ball game, that final ball game, because the year before, when we played in Super Bowl VI, we were a young team that was inexperienced in being at that level. We were happy to be there, but we failed to understand the responsibility to once you get there, the only thing that matters is to win the game. So during the following year, during the 1972 season climaxed by the undefeated win. We were so focused and intent, even when we were going through that season and everyone on the outside was talking about you're undefeated and so forth, that never really entered our mind. The only thing we were focused on was winning the Super Bowl because 
unfortunately, <laughs> there were people who were writing things about us saying that we were, you know, not a legitimate team because we had lost to an old NFL team and a lot of other things. So we were intent on proving that we could be Super Bowl champions. Along the way, a wonderful thing happened. You know, no one ever woke us up. <laughs> Next thing you knew, we were undefeated. So here's the relative point in my mind that you ask me this question, although I've taken a long time to answer it. I am in the huddle, and we are on the field of the Los Angeles Coliseum, and the clock is winding down, and we are in the huddle, and we're not going to come out of the huddle because it's going to wind down. And I see the clock wind down to 10, 9, 8, 7, and all the way down to 1 and 0. And I look up, and the scoreboard is flashing. The Dolphins are super. And that resonates in my mind today, as it did over 40 years ago, that we were super, that we were the best. And all of the accolades that go with that, being undefeated, no one has ever accomplished this, that gives us a great sense of pride, I think. Uh, I, although I'm reluctant to speak for everyone on that team, but that gives us a great sense of pride that we have accomplished something that no other professional football team has, has ever accomplished, even up to this date. Just a, a final question from me. Um, what, what was... What was the challenge presented by that Washington team? Because, I mean, everyone remembers now that they were the favourites to win the game. I mean, what kind of challenge did they present? Well, um, they had a great coach in George Allen, a masterful defensive genius. And they had veteran players, players that had gone through the wars in the National Football League from every perspective. They, uh, he was confident in them that they'd seen everything that there would be nothing to unrattle them. And, uh, you know, but, you know, the, the fact remains that even though they had outstanding and great players in the uh, Hall of Famers like Charles, Charlie Taylor, who uh, was a very close friend of mine, Sonny Jurgensen, their quarterback, and uh, uh, lot they had a great defensive team, uh, we knew that we got to this point, this was the game that we had been planning for ever since we lost the previous one the year before, and everything was on the line, and we were mentally, physically ready in every respect uh, to accomplish what we failed to accomplish the year before. Final time from Paul Warfield. So the, the Dolphins' place in the pantheon of all-time great teams was, was summed up the following year, when they win Super Bowl eight, yeah, absolutely, yeah, and 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 the interesting part is that you know Jim Langer spoke about that as well, and how it was different the next season because you have the bullseye on your back, you know. Let's just hear from him. I, I don't want to preempt everything he says. He tells a great story <laughs> about the about the next preseason as well and and a defeat that they had. So yeah, let's let's hear one final time from from Jim Langer on repeating as Super Bowl champions. Teams that win the championship the year before going into the next season, everybody, you're not going to surprise anybody. And uh, we lost uh, a preseason game to the Vikings the next year. And you would think they won the Super Bowl. And, uh, you know, we went about our business. I think we lost our first, we only lost two games the next year. Yeah. And one of them was to Oakland. And that was a huge deal for Oakland. 
and we felt quite bad, but I mean, we, I think we played a good game. It was a good football game. I mean, we just, well, we, we lost this game, but it was, we hadn't tasted defeat in a long time. And, and like I say, we went on that uh, next season and won, we were uh, 12 and 2, which is still pretty good, and then went to the Super Bowl and beat the Vikings in the Super Bowl. And so we were back to back, which was, again, a, a you know, tremendous accomplishment. And uh, we had a very close team, and we worked very hard. I mean, Trilla was you know, an amazing individual. It was hard as he worked, and we bought into his program, which was, we outworked everybody, I think. Uh, and, and it paid off. I mean, it definitely paid dividends. We, we never went into a game thinking, we should, I mean, we should win this game. If we play the way we're supposed to, we should beat this team. And that was kind of the feeling I think championship teams to this day probably take in, into a contest. They know that if they play well and do what they're supposed to, uh, they stand a good chance of winning that game. And if you don't think like that, I don't think you're going to be a champion. Jim Langer there. So let's take this back to the start, Matt Sherry. Uh, for your money, are they the greatest single-season team of all time? Not even close, no. I mean, <laughs> is, it a, is it a Patriots team? <laughs> uh, no, it's not, no. Although the, the, the level to which they've got the, the Patriots team order wrong in this NFL list is, is staggering. Um, you know, as much as they were dominant in the Super Bowl, they really weren't dominant in the conference title game against the Steelers. They won 21-17. They only beat the, beat the Browns 20-14. to um, They had an all-time easy schedule. Um, if you look back, I think football outsiders have, have looked back in of schedules in history and, and it rates as the easiest of all time. Um, so, no, I don't think they were the greatest team of all time. Are they one of them? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, of course they are. They went undefeated. So, uh, so that in itself tells you they also went to three Super Bowls in a row, um, won two of them. They are right up there with the great teams. But for me, they're not the greatest of all time because, like I said, they had an easy schedule. And the other element is they could only win their one way. You know, the, the reason I rate that Steelers 70s team so highly is their ability to completely transform themselves and win a totally different way. Well, this Dolphins team couldn't do that. It had a set formula. It, that formula was perfect for the era that they were in, but they didn't execute that formula even as dominantly as the Packers teams the year before did even. So, yeah, for me, nowhere near. I, I think the 85 Bears are the greatest team of all time, single season. Um, and I think there's a lot of other teams who've had, you know, some of your 49ers teams well in the late 80s that have had outrageously dominant runs through the postseason. The Giants team that won the first Super Bowl under Parcells springs to mind when Sims was healthy. There are lots of teams that have been incredibly dominant in the postseason as well. And, and for me, you know, I can understand why the NFL Network put them as number one, because how do you ignore the undefeated elements? And, you know, had the Patriots gone 18, and I'm sure they would have been number one for the for the same reason. But but I would I would say if you would if you were neutral fielding it between that team and a number of other all-time great teams, I don't think they would win the game. I feel like there's a separate NFL 100 pod in you re-ranking the Patriots seasons, but I'm terrified about what it would sound like. So, well, well, I'm gonna... so, so just, a, just a quick one on that. So the, the 2014 Patriots were rated below the team that won two years later. Now, the 2014 Patriots had Revis at cornerback. Also... 
the, the, both of those teams were rated below the 2013 Seahawks. Now, the 2014 Patriots beat the 2013 Seahawks. So how does that work? It, I, a lot of it didn't make sense to me. I've got to say, I was disappointed. All right. I love you, buddy. Uh, brilliant yeah. stuff, as always. We've got two episodes. We've got a glut of podcasts for you. What's coming up in the next one? Uh, we're going to look at basically the history of TV in the NFL and the importance of it and how it really changed the game for the whole NFL through a, a very famous game, the Heidi game, that was, that was really all about the, the television element. Brilliant stuff. Matthew Sherry, as always, UK Gridiron on Instagram, Gridiron on Twitter. If you're enjoying this, please do give us a rate, review, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, particularly iTunes. They have some weird algorithm where they stop putting you high in the charts if somebody hasn't reviewed you recently. So it does really genuinely help more people find us. Thank you so much for listening. As always, this has been the NFL 100 show from Gridiron. Hello, Gabby Logan here and I'm pitchside at Welland FC where Suki and his mate Simon have arranged a kickabout to fundraise for sport relief. It's 11.47 on a Sunday. I think some of these players are a little worse for wear. But they're here, they've got their kit on, they're kicking against injustice and smashing poverty right out the box. They're still 2-0 down though. Oh, but would you look at that goal! You can help change the world too. Just order your free fundraising pack at sportrelief.com. Sport Relief, it's game on. This message was brought to you by ACAST.